Herbie's turf. Big box stores like Home Depot and Walmart were quick to bring in fresh water, batteries, and food. In Puerto Rico, Coca-Cola donated a million dollars, PepsiCo two million. Elon Musk offers to rebuild Puerto Rico's electricity grid. Researchers found that after Hurricane Katrina, businesses and charities provided much more help than FEMA did. A few years ago, Oklahoma took a big hit. For three days, tornadoes tore through the state. FEMA spent lots of money to help rebuild, but even NBC's anchors noticed the private charities did a better job. If you're waiting for the government, you're going to be in for an awful long way. The Baptist men, they're going to get a ton yeah. of The Baptist men have got bulldozers and cleared tornado debris from more than a thousand homes. They brought in bobcats and bulldozers and chainsaws and they just went to work. Within days, the Baptists gave them a new home. It was a mess out here and they cleaned it up and they've done that for our whole neighborhood. All of a sudden, we hear hammering, and Maddie looks back and she grabs his shoulder and looks up, and they're already on our roof. You have people driving through, handing you meals. People I didn't know would just walk up and give us money. It's just overwhelming to me that we were that taken care of. For 200 years when disasters hit, neighbors took care of neighbors. But now we hear a big storm requires big government. I say, the head of the Baptist charity has it right. I don't think there's any kind of disaster that can take place that the nonprofit and faith-based groups cannot take care of. Amen. I don't know if you've heard that phrase, but hearing an NBC anchor say the Baptist men are going to get it done. I don't believe in miracles. Really? Did you just hear that? <laughs> Listen, that organization that they were talking about is the Disaster Relief Program started by the Southern Baptists that we're a part of. There's a couple possibilities for you if you would like to be part of that, if you would like to lead it. Some of our men have done it. And you're kind of like a minute man on disasters. You might have to drop everything and go to Louisiana and go to Alabama or go even to the Royal Oak and help people that are going through a disaster. There's another great opportunity. If something like that strikes you and you feel at the end of the service, that's what I'd like to do. I have information about our own state association about chaplaincy and being a chaplain. And all a chaplain does, not all, but what a chaplain does is on these disaster sites and the people have just lost their home. They're going through all this kind of chaos. A chaplain is just kind of there and prays with them, lets them cry on their shoulders and just says, okay, let me help you. Let me find somebody to get over here to take care of your need. I love that quote. The Baptist men are going to get it done. And by the way, the Baptist ladies too. Amen? Amen. Listen, the reason I showed that video is because it goes hand in hand with what we're going to talk today in 1 Samuel chapter 19. As we talk about opportunities, today our opportunity thought is this. The Christian life is a verb. The Christian life is a verb. And if you haven't been to school in a while, or maybe you didn't do well in parts of speech in English class, because you were preoccupied by a girl, a verb is a word that expresses action. A word that expresses action. Christians are doers. Say amen. amen. But there's a problem. Here's the problem. Newton's 
Newton's first law of physics. I love this. I love science. But Newton's first law of physics is this. Objects at rest tend to stay at rest. Meaning, bodies who stop and bodies who stop moving require a lot to get them going. Oh, don't believe it? After a hard day's work and you finally get home and you find your couch or you find your chair that's yours and you sit down, it's going to take an earthquake to move you, right? If you don't move at all, something is going to have to stir you to push you to action. Today, my message, I hope you understand what I'm about to say this, okay? It might sound wrong out of context. My message today is not about convicting you of sin. I'm not going to try to get you to stop something. I'm not going to get you to reform. I'm not going to try to get you to quit something. That's not my message. My message today is to try to stir you to action. To stir you to get going and do something for Jesus. Because the Christian life is a verb, not a noun. Amen? And maybe you've been sitting there for a while. It's going to take a lot to get you moving. It's going to take a lot to get you to start the process. Well, then you need to be stirred. In your notes, there's two things that stir Christians. There's two things. Number one, a Holy Spirit stirring. In Acts chapter 17, Paul is waiting for his friends to show up. He's on a mission trip. And he goes to this very modern city of Athens. And he sees all the luxury. He sees all the wealth. But he also notices all the fake gods and all the pagan demons and everything that they're worshiping. There's even one to the unknown God and everything. And Paul sees all of this. And what happens to him? His spirit is stirred when he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. I want to ask you a very important question because this really tells me everything about you. This tells you everything about you. Here it is. What stirs you? If the only thing that stirs you is poor customer service, that tells me a lot about you. Quite frankly, you know what that tells me? It tells you you're very selfish. What stirs you to action? What stirs something inside of you that drives you to move? Um, I don't watch local news. And the reason I don't watch local news is because I watched, when we lived in Chicago, I watched their local news for a while. Only for a while. If you think Detroit local news is bad, try being part of the local news of a city that routinely has 11, 12, 1,300 people shot and murdered. That's not shot, because a lot of people are shot and they save their lives. If they included those, it would be outstanding. And to see the events that take place and to be constantly asking, why is this not on the national news? Why is this epidemic not taking place? I have always kept in my mind, and I would never forget the name, Heaven Sutton. Heaven Sutton. A little 10-year-old African-American little girl who was in the south side of Chicago who did what most little girls do on a summer day, set up a, a lemonade stand to sell lemonade to people in the neighborhood. And little Heaven Sutton was shot dead by a drive-by shooter from a gang situation. And the newscaster told the story and then went, well, what did the Cubs do today now? Over to little girl on her front yard. Nobody talked about it. And nobody seemed to care. That bothered me. That people, because they don't fit a political agenda. Hey, um, when's the last time people walked out of school 
over all the deaths in Chicago, the number one gun control city in America, when's the last time people stood up and said, this has to change, what we're doing isn't working, but it doesn't fit some political agenda, and no one cares about little Heaven Sutton and being gunned down. But pastor, I got bad service at Applebee's. <laughs> Or the preacher preached long. <clears throat> you know what stirs a Christian? Holy Spirit. If little heaven, something, if little ones like that doesn't spur you on, if it doesn't get a hold of your soul and stay with you, I would like to suggest the reason might be because you don't have the Holy Spirit. Believers are spurred and stirred by the Holy Spirit. Number two, what stirs us? Values. Values. Now, don't put it up there because I know it's tempting, but don't put this up there. I want to explain something. There's a difference between cravings and values. Cravings come and go, like it's the middle of the night, and you know that there's a cherry pie down in the refrigerator, so you sneak down there and you eat it, right? You don't just eat part of it because you eat all of it because you're an American. You're going to finish something you start. Amen? Right? <laughs> and you get that craving, right? And then after you have it, the craving goes away. Cravings come and go, values stick. No. Another example, right? You have to have him. Oh, pastor, I have to go out with him. I have to. And now you barely even know his name. Or you got him and then realized what you got and divorced him. Cravings come and go. I'll give you another example. How many of you still dress the same way you did in high school? If you did, today is an intervention for you. <laughs> I would love to still dress the way I did in high school, back in the 80s, guest jeans, pinched off at the bottom, white Reeboks, my pink or light pastel-colored Oxford, you know, or the alligator, eyes on shirt rolled up, the foster grant sunglasses on with the stripe back here, listening to you two, I was cute. Yeah. <laughs> or 85. These things still are important. They don't change. They don't walk away. You don't adjust to them. Here's what we're doing. Here's what we're doing to millennials. We're doing this to them. We are making Jesus some sort of trendy type thing. We turn him into some social program or some type of thing. Or, or we do worse. We turn Jesus into an emotion. And, and I go to church because I just feel good. Or Jesus makes me cry or anything else, and we turn it into emotion. Um, neither one are wrong as an after effect, but we're making Jesus something trendy, and this is what Jesus is. He is God's son. He is God come in the flesh, and he came to die on a cruel Roman cross because you have a sin condition that only he could take care of, and today Jesus tells you, you must be born again. Amen. Jesus is not a craving. Jesus is an unchanging value. I started thinking about things that still stir me. And th this is my own list. Feel free to have your own list. Uh, America. Patriot. That was America. Yeah. <laughs> Either way you say it. Patriotism. The flag. The national anthem. Amen? Amen. Um, my wife. Now, she stirs me in a different way. But, uh, but my wife still stirs me. 
preaching about the cross or about Jesus that stirs them. When people accept Christ, that is awesome. And still, it's, it's not a craving or a trend seeing someone come to know Jesus as their personal Savior. That is awesome. And, and you know what? My kids. Now, sometimes they can stir me to pull my hair out. But my kids. <laughs> listen, values, unchangeable. It, trends come and go. It doesn't matter. Cravings come and go. If you know Christ as your personal Savior, there's a value inside you that will cause you to action. In 1 Samuel 19, the whole chapter is all about opportunities. Uh, last week we looked at it as an opportunity for life. Some of you weren't here. We had another beautiful spring day, didn't we? Don't worry, don't feel bad. Most of you weren't here. I don't blame you. The weather was horrible. Hey, it's just the middle of April. Snowstorm. Why do we live here? Anyway, um, today is an opportunity for action. There are three people that we're going to look at. Three people are going to be stirred, and there's three responses. And all three of these are possible responses. Two are good, one is bad. Twelve men went to spy and came to twelve men. Nobody else went to Sunday school. You are all pagans. All right. <laughs> two are bad, one, two, one is bad, two are good. There we go. First, when stirred, David fights. David fights. The Irishman in me loves that fighting. Yeah, yeah. In verse 8, and there was a war again. Uh, side note, you see the repetitiveness of the battle. You, you get victory over something, and it's going to come back. You are never done in the fight, in a spiritual fight. And David went out and fought with the Philistines. Oh, that's the same enemy just a few chapters ago. Remember Goliath? And slew them with a great slaughter, and they fled from them. David was stirred to fight because there was a cause. Uh, if you remember a couple chapters ago with Goliath, he says, Is there not a cause? Isn't there something that we're supposed to fight for? What pushes Christians to act is the fight. There are things Christians are supposed to fight. And by the way, it's not other Christians. Amen? And by the way, let me clarify, it's not the federal government. Amen? There are things Christians are supposed to fight. Here's two things. Christians fight to help people. Christians fight to help. I'm going to ask this question. It's a little smart alecky, but so am I. Okay? Here's my question. How many hospitals have ever been built by an atheist? You know, we send missionaries, and that's what Mother Teresa did over to India, because the Hindus said, well, you're just getting what you deserve, and you should just die there, and we don't need you. They had to make up. We had the Red Cross. That was a spontaneous organization that started by Christians. They had to make up the crimson moon for Muslims. They had to make that up. It wasn't part of their natural thing. What <coughs> stirs Christians to action? What stirs Christians to action is not some sort of social economic guilt. Right? We live in Clarkston. We live in Waterford. Lake Orion, maybe Ortonville, we're kind of poor out there, but we live in pretty wealthy communities and pretty wealthy things. You want to know if you're in a wealthy community? If you throw away change because it annoys you, you're wealthy, right? For some of you, you get pennies like, oh, that's disgusting. And you peel it. Remember the little tray in your car and there's like the Coke residue and you got to get like a chisel to get it out, right? Either that or you just sell the car. But anyways, what stirs us to fight is that some social economic guilt. What stirs us to fight 
is we've had a real experience with a real God, and Jesus saved us, and he baptized us with the Holy Spirit at that moment, and the Holy Spirit inside us demands that we fight. And secondly, Christians, Christians fight to most of people. Jesus said this about ministry. Ministry can be as simple as a cup of cold water in his name. That being said, I know Pastor Ken talked about next week the opportunity to go and do yard work for someone else, a senior citizen who can't do it. And we've got all these other, some secular, some church organizations that are going to meet on Sunday. And we're asking for two hours of your time. So that we can go to a scene. Now, if you're physically disabled or you can't do it, that's fine. But for two hours to go out, they're even providing a lunch, right? It's probably going to be bad. But they're even providing a lunch and stuff. But two hours of your time to go and help somebody. You know, there should be a fight to sign up at that board, at the missions table there. You know what? I want. We should be on the news. Channel 7 breaks in. A fight breaks out at a local Baptist church. People lined up so that they could volunteer to help. We fight, not each other, not a government, but we fight to minister to people. See, because ministry is this. Very simple. Ministry is connecting people with Jesus. Um, it could be water. Some of our missionaries, uh, they dig wells in other countries. And they help them irrigate. They help them farm. And they do some things like that. And it could be stuff like that. But you understand why they do that? All of that and everything we do is an excuse to connect them to Jesus as their personal Savior. Amen? You see, some of our missionaries feed people. You say, well, that's nice. They feed them. And that is, we want to help people out, especially as they're suffering. We provide inoculation. We have doctors who show up and do all sorts of things and everything. We do that. But why? Just for that purpose? No. That is nothing more than a starting point to be able to introduce somebody to Jesus Christ. Next week, you show up and you help them. And you go out and you're helping some little old lady who can't get out. And you're cleaning up her yard and everything and stuff. You probably won't get a chance to lead somebody to Jesus, to tell them about Christ. But maybe she'll come out and thank you. Your other opportunity there is... You say, I'm just doing this because Jesus saved me, and I'm a believer in Jesus Christ, and I just want to help because of that. Christians fight the ministry, and all ministry is, is just connecting somebody to Jesus. David is stirred to action. And every time God moves, it happens in a church and it happens in your life, every time God moves, Satan's going to push back. You can mark it down, and here's Satan's first pushing back. When stirred, Saul does evil. Saul does evil. Look at verse 9. And the evil spirit from the Lord was upon Saul. We, we looked at this previously. This is depression. You get out of God's will and you will be depressed. As he sat in his house and with a javelin, that's a spear in his hand. And David played with his hand and he plays the harp. And just remember in verse 6, Saul had promised not to hurt David. If you were here last week, Saul said, I won't hurt you, David. That was his promise. But here in verse 10... And Saul sought to smite David even to the wall with the javelin. But he slipped out of the way of Saul's presence. A little side note, when you're in God's will, you're in the safest place you can be. He said, well, I don't want to go on the mission field. I don't want to go to Africa, China, the Middle East. Those people are crazy, right? I don't want to do that. What if God calls me and said, listen, if you're in God's will, it doesn't matter if you're in the middle of a civil war. It doesn't matter if you're in the middle of an inferno. If you're in God's will where God wants you to be, you will be safe. Amen? 
David slipped out of his presence and he smote the javelin into the wall and David fled and escaped that night. Let me just tell you what evil is because you have the misconception that there's bad and there's really bad and then there's like evil and then Hitler, right? That's kind of how we gauge everything. Hitler's the worst and Mother Teresa's the best and we have that kind of mind. That is not what evil is. Evil is not worse sin. Evil is this. Evil is planned pain. Planned pain. Meaning... You want to purposely think of something ahead of time so that you can hurt somebody. Um, I talked at 9.30 to the mother-in-laws, but maybe some of your daughter-in-laws would relate to this. You know, the, the mother-in-law goes over to the house, and she's like, oh, it's so nice that you dusted for a change. A little passive-aggressive now, right? You know, she thought that through. And she's just kind of... You know what that is? It's evil. Evil is that little comment that your sister-in-law, remember, uh, at Easter, and you had a meal, and you brought it, and she tasted it, and goes, oh, I, just, I see you decided to go for you know, something good this year, right? Right? That's evil. The most evil thing on the planet is a junior high girl. Oh, sweetheart, you poor things. I've got one coming up, and she's experiencing it. And, 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 and literally yesterday, I was talking with one of our little, you know, about to be middle school girls, and she's having drama on her life and everything, and all this, somebody's saying bad things to her and stuff, makes me just want to smack somebody, but, you know, anyway. But, and I told her this, and I kind of, I think I startled her. I said, everywhere you go, you're going to find those people. I said, even in church. And her reaction was so sweet. She was so innocent. And she said, in church? <laughs> bursted her bubble. But I said, yes, even in church. Saul has a choice. You know what he chooses? He chooses to kill. Now, side note, some of you need to hear this. Some of you girls, maybe mainly girls, okay? I'm, okay? I'm not having some televangelist moment where the Lord's telling me to talk to a female. No, I'm not doing that, okay? But, ladies, do you notice Saul's method of dealing with, or David's method of dealing with evil? He doesn't try to change it. He leaves. He runs from it. Now, that's not me telling you to walk away from your marriage vows, by the way, okay? That's not what I'm saying. But you cannot change people. Only God can change people. Instead of putting yourself and your family in a place of pain and with evil, maybe instead of doing that, leave. Now, girls, let me go one step further. Um, only God can change them, but every woman, not every, well, I guess not every, most women will think, I know, but if I marry him, I can change him. His mama can't change him. Jesus hasn't changed him. What makes you think you can change him? Girls, let me remind you again, don't marry a project. Amen. See, you buy a fixer-upper and you flip it, a house, right? And you flip it and then you move on to something better. Husbands are not fixer-uppers. They are not projects that, he's my mission field. You know how many girls have told me that? Well, he's, he, he's a drinker. He's kind of a partier. He's got a bad reputation. Bad, I know, but he's my personal mission field, Pastor. Don't marry a project. Marry a man on day one who can be the spiritual leader of your home, a man who is already acting like a man. Amen? Yeah. Thank you, sisters. Evil is planned, and the only thing you can do is run from it. Now, even in a church, sometimes there's evil. Remember, Saul's a believer. 
So even Christians sometimes can act evil. I would like to give you, as a public service announcement, an evil test. Now, as I go through these three questions, I would like you to avoid thinking of another person. That's my daughter-in-law. That's my wife. No, no, don't, no. Avoid thinking of another person. I would like to ask you to think of yourself on these questions. So here's an evil test. Question one. Are you helping people or hurting people? Well, I'm not really sure. Okay, listen. If you're helping, you know it. It's kind of like being poor. You know when you're poor, right? Um, if you're helping somebody, you know it for a fact. If you're not sure, you're hurting them. And there's a pretty good chance that after this point, you're doing it on purpose. Sir, ma'am, that's called evil. Second question. Are you saying it to their face or behind their back? And Facebook counts as behind their back. You know that in Romans 1, Paul talks about all these horrible sins, right? All these disgusting things that are going on. And right in the middle of all these lists of horrible sins, he throws in this word, gossip. Gossipers, people who talk behind other people. You see, if you'll say it to someone's face, nine out of ten times you're probably saying it because you care about that person. You're trying to intervene, you're trying to change it. Ken, for the love of God, stop being a lion's man. Just to stop. <laughs> say it to your face. Don't pass it on to your boys. It's evil. I don't know what you're thinking. Stop it. Repent in Jesus' name. Okay? I said it to his face. If you're saying something to somebody's face, the reason you're probably doing it is because you care about them. You love them. If you're saying it behind their back, it's because you're doing something that's, say it with me, evil. Boy, some of you said that really. Somebody said it creepy over here. Like, <laughs> Like Sir Graves desk, evil. <laughs> Number three, is someone getting saved or are you driving them from Jesus? What you're doing, how you're behaving, how you're talking about, what you're complaining about, what's your big issue, what's your number one thing that this is number one on your list and this is why you're doing everything. Are people getting saved from it? Or by your example, are you telling people, I don't want anything to do with Jesus. If that's Jesus, I'm going to look at something else here. You know, there's a, West Virginia has a motto, right? West Virginia's motto is, almost heaven. If that's true, God needs to do some work. <laughs> I've been to West Virginia, that ain't heaven. But anyway, I don't know why I said that. There you go, that's for you, Debbie. Take it and run with it. Um, now, what was I talking about? <laughs> Listen, honestly, don't put up, you know, uh, your previous business partner. Don't put up your, you know, ex-wife or your mother-in-law or your neighbor. Ask yourself those questions. Are you helping or hurting? If you're not, if you don't know, you're hurting. Are you saying it to people's face? You're saying it behind their back. Is someone going to get saved by what you're doing, or are you driving them from Jesus? And lastly, stirred is Michael. When Michael is stirred, she helps. Michael is such a dysfunctional character. She's probably the number one crazy, dysfunctional character. It's just a coincidence she's a woman. But she's probably one of the most dysfunctional characters. And here's the thing about Michael. At least she does something. 
At least she tries. In verse 11, And Saul also sent messengers to David's house to watch him and to slay him in the morning. And David and Michael, David's wife, told him, saying, If thou save not thy life tonight, tomorrow thou shalt be slain. He's coming to kill you. So Michael let David down through a window, and he went and fled. So she got him out, and he escaped. So what does Michael do? How original. And Michael took an image that's an idol, should have it in her house in the first place, an image, and laid it in the bed and put a pillow of goat's hair. She's making it look like David is in bed uh, for her bolster and covered it with a cloth. And when Saul sent messengers to take David, here's her incredibly original response. He is sick. Michael gets a bad rap, and she's such a dysfunctional character and person, and she's a chick with a dude's name, so that's another level and everything, but she gets such a bad rap, but at least I'll say this about Michael. At least she tries. I say this repeatedly. I'd rather apologize for you than push you, and this week someone called me up and said, hey, remember you say uh, you'd rather apologize? Yeah? Well, you might have to apologize. Thanks. <laughs> I'd rather apologize because you're trying and you did something foolish in an attempt to serve Jesus, an attempt to help somebody, and it blew up in your face spectacularly than have to constantly prod you and push you to do something. Michael is not special. She has no long resume. She's not any skilled person. But what she is, is willing. Look, she's not special. Look at Michael. God used Michael even though, look at these three things. God used Michael even though she isn't perfect. She has an idol in her home. Why does she have that? And before you judge her too strongly, just remember, we also have idols. Michael's had a face on it. You drive yours. That didn't go over well. Uh, she is an original. When pushed with an excuse, she comes up with, he's sick. Anybody who ever tells you they're sick, they're lying. Number three, she isn't persuasive. You go back in the chapter, Jonathan, right? Jonathan gets Saul to stop, and Jonathan even gets Saul to promise, I won't kill or hurt David. I promise that. She can't even do any of that. She's not perfect. She's not original. She's not even persuasive. But I'll give Michael this. At least she's willing. And you know who God uses? He doesn't use perfect. He doesn't use original. He doesn't use super persuasive people. God uses willing people. So today you have a choice. One of three things. One of three things. With a message like this, you have one of three things. Here's your first response. You can be stirred today to salvation. You realize, as I talk about the Holy Spirit moving, you realize that maybe you were baptized. I'm glad you were baptized, but that's not salvation. You joined the church, that's not salvation. You're a good person, that's not salvation. Maybe you realize you never had a true encounter with Christ where you accepted Jesus. Today... You're going to be stirred. Today is the day of salvation. Or maybe you're a believer and you can say, I got the answer right. When you ask if I'm a Christian, I got the right answer. I know I'm saved. So maybe today, instead of salvation, you'll be stirred to serve. You'll realize, man, I've been blessed with so much. I've been given so much. That is one reason to serve. But I have the Holy Spirit in me. and He's driving me to be a soul winner. He's driving me to help other people. God has blessed me so much. I just want to bless other people. Or maybe you hear a message like this, and you come and you think, I'm never coming back. And your response is you're stirred to sever. I don't want to hear preaching like this. Really? 
Preaching that encourages you to be blunt, get off your seat, and start doing something for somebody, whether it's a cup of cold water, I just rather hear that I'm good and I'm not a bad person. I just rather hear that everything's great and other people are doing stuff. Listen, you hear these stories about our missionaries that are doing all these other things. We're not buying off our, our responsibility. Do you understand that? Well, I don't have to be a soul winner. That's why we pay missionaries. That's why we pay you, Pastor. You see other people doing things, and you think, well, that takes care of my responsibility. No, it doesn't. Today, I am trying to stir you to action. Because the Christian life is a verb. And you can either choose salvation, or you will choose to serve. But today might be your last week, and you will choose to serve. At the end of your life, there's a, I've, I've done so many funerals. Ridiculous how a guy my age has done so many funerals. But at the end of your life, there's two things you're going to be remembered for. You ready? These are the two things at the end of your life everybody is remembered for. Number one, are the people you loved faithfully? You were faithful, you were good to them. Those people are who you remember for. Uh, grandchildren get up and give these glowing testimonies of grandmother. And, uh, husbands talk about wives or, the, you know, the, maybe not the funeral, but privately. People get up and talk about how great they were. And it's my uncle, and I'm so glad he's in my life. People you love faithfully for. Number two, the things that you do selflessly. I've been at, done funerals. Somebody got up and said, she was one of my, my teachers. And she spent a lot of time after school helping me. I had a learning disability, and she was really patient with me. And it wasn't her job. Heard this said, and she did this. Um, he was my neighbor, and uh, I really didn't even know. I've heard this said. I, he was my neighbor. I didn't know how to act as a husband, and he was really good. He would be, I'd go over to his garage, and I'd be mad at my wife, and he would talk me down and show me how to behave and what I'm supposed to do as a husband. This man was amazing, and I hear, and one of the, some of the best ones I hear he led me to Christ, or she introduced me to Jesus, and I'm here today, and I'm going to heaven because of this person. They were selflessly worked and volunteered in my life. You will not be remembered for your bank account. You will not be remembered for your hair, some of you, not a lot. You will not be remembered for your physique. You will not even be remembered, really, for your great accomplishments in the business world or, or anything else you acquired. You will be remembered by the people you loved faithfully, and you will be remembered by the things you did selflessly. That's what you'll be remembered by. In a field in Pennsylvania in 1863, a group of men from the 20th Maine and a group of other places from people in areas we never even heard of saved this country during the Civil War, a battlefield called Gettysburg. And there it was, months later, that President Lincoln was part of the dedication service. And you know the things that he remembered about those men? Were their selfless, tiresome service. It is rather for us here to be dedicated to the great task remaining before us, that from these honored dead we take increased devotion to cause for which they gave the last full measure of devotion, that we here highly resolve that these dead shall not have died in vain, that this nation under God shall have a new birth of freedom, and that government of the people, by the people, for the people, 
shall not perish from this earth. He later began and said, the world will little know what is said here, but they will never forget what was done here. Believer, get moving. Get serving. Cup of cold water, Helping a little old lady clean her yard, great job. But do it all as an excuse, as a reason to show somebody Jesus. You know there's a reason why we're tax exempt? <coughs> and that what you give to the church, you can deduct on your taxes? Do you know why? Because the federal government recognizes something that most churches members don't recognize. The federal government recognizes that churches in the area help the community. And that we are better off having active believers. Well, we're better off having a church in our town than we are having a bar in our town. And the federal government recognizes that. Do you? Thank God the Baptist men showed up. Let it be said. People in Oakland were people in Oakland County and Clarkson. Thank God Oakland Wood is there. Amen. Amen. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Maybe it seemed odd that I didn't demand you stop doing something or try to make you feel bad or conviction, whatever words you want to use to stop sinning. Look, if you're a believer, God will help you with those. God will help you. If you're a believer also, the same Holy Spirit that stirs you to repent is the same one that stirs you to action. Parents, I'm so glad that you're active in your child's life. That is great. But let me remind you, that's responsibility. That's less ministry and more responsibility. I just want to ask you very simply. Who are you actively reaching today? Who are you ministering to? If the answer is nobody, then let today spur you, stir you to do something about it. Simple prayer. Something like this. God, I'm not helping anybody right now. Would you please open my eyes and give me a tender heart and bring people into my life to help, to minister, to connect you to them. You pray something like that, I promise you. Gracious Heavenly Father, let every boy and girl, let every senior citizen, let every married couple, let every young person, teenager, college student, let every drug addict and president of a bank in this community be able to say, thank God Oakland Woods is here. Lord, help us to be spurred, stirred on today to share the gospel, to reach somebody. Lord, help us to action. In Jesus' precious name. Would you stand with me? Hey, in that same spirit of prayer, Adam's going to lead us in a song. If you'd like to know Christ as your Savior, I